0: Let's pray. God, we thank you for new life. We thank you for baby blessings. We thank you for baptisms. We thank you for sitting around your table as a family and inviting you to recreate us every single time that we get to see what you're doing in the world and in this family and in our own lives. As we open up our hearts To your word, once again, we pray that you would recreate us, that you would do in us what we cannot manage to do for ourselves. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for the ways that you send people into our lives to help hold us up, to help us see what it is that you're calling us to. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. It's good to be with you. Uh, It always is. As we've already been kind of talking about for the last couple of months, we've been focusing on several different ways for us through spiritual practices to create some space in our lives for God to work, for God to recreate us. We've talked about Seven of those things, where we will have by the end of today different aspects of what it means to be a Christ follower praying and fasting and enduring and slowing, befriending. And this morning we're going to be looking at serving. Now, don't worry, uh, I, I'm not going to overcomplicate the concept of serving. I, I can do that at times. I can overcomplicate things. It is not my intent to do that. Serving is a very straightforward, simple concept. And everybody in this room at one time or another has either been served or has served. And so you, you know what I'm talking about. But what I want to suggest to you this morning, that the, the challenge In serving, that the power that comes from serving is not in all of us knowing what it is, intellectually agreeing that it's generally a good thing to do. The power in serving only happens when we serve. And that's where things get a little bit more challenging. I mean, all of us have at one time or another probably sung the song, Lord, make me a servant, but almost all of us are kind of hoping as we sing those words that the Lord will get around to making us servants later. Right? We, we know that it's important. None of us would disagree with it. But when it comes to actually rolling up our sleeves and serving, we usually have all kinds of reasons, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of motivations that make taking that step of translating it from an idea to an action, well, that gets a little, that gets a little more difficult for us. Serving now is always harder than serving later. Serving now can look like doing things now for people, things that, that maybe we feel like they should be able to do or, or, or at least can do for themselves, and yet here we are doing those things for them. Serving now can mean having to, to do boring, menial tasks that we kind of feel like maybe we did them all the time when we were kids, but now we've outgrown that. It's, it's something that's just beneath us. Serving now can mean doing things today that we know are going to have to be done again tomorrow and the day after that. And so it feels like it's a waste of our time. Serving now feels like submitting now. It feels like being less important now. It feels like having to to do things that we have very little interest in doing now. And so all of us, at one time, time or another, ha- have decided we just we'd rather serve later. And yet we know from experience that serving in simple, quiet ways is one of the best ways that we can follow directly in the footsteps of Jesus, because of all the many amazing things Jesus did, one of the most amazing things Jesus models for us is that we don't only have a God who is powerful enough to speak everything that exists into being, we have a God who chooses time after time after time to stoop down to serve. Serving is not something that's beneath God. Serving is not something that God will do for a little while and then will outgrow and what that means is you and I don't get to have a spiritual journey where we start out at the beginning serving, but then as we get more mature and as we, as we grow up, we'll find that other people who are, are newer to that journey than us, they'll be the servants and we'll get to do other things that we're more interested in doing. That's not how it works. Open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 3. Here we find one of the most concise descriptions that we have in all of the Bible of the Jesus way of life. What, What does it look like for Jesus to come here, be here, live for us, die for us, be raised again? Paul writes, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. And when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient "...to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. With humility," Paul says, Think of others as, as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. I am not sure that there's a more countercultural command in all of Scripture than this one. God says to us in a world that is obsessed with self, self fulfillment, self realization, you should be the people. If, if you wanna follow in the footsteps of my son, you should be the people who actually, not theoretically, but actually do things that prove that you care more about other people and their needs than you care about yourself and your own needs. Now, th- this is a, a difficult challenge for us. I think primarily because anytime we talk about humbling ourselves or submission, those are our ideas and our culture that immediately get attached to somebody else humbling us or forcing us into submission, and that's never okay. That's, that's not what, what Paul or Jesus or anyone else in the New Testament is ever talking about when it comes to our way of life being one where we choose to be humble, where we choose to submit, where we choose to do the things that maybe nobody else wants to do, the things that are that are necessary, but they 're just they're not something any no, nobody wakes up in the morning excited to scrub a toilet, right nobody wakes up excited to wash dishes, you know, having to scrape off the stuff that 's still left from somebody else that's that 's not what anybody wakes up wanting to do, and yet. Everybody needs to have those things done. And the question is, what kind of people are we? Are we people who would rather ask somebody else to always do that or pay for somebody else to always do that or or just arrange our life where we're too busy to ever be able to do those things? What happens when we try through choices to construct a life where we really never have to serve or at least we never have to serve in ways that are challenging to us? Value other people and their needs more than you care about yourself and your needs. I, I don't know that there's a more countercultural command in all of Scripture. But it is the life that Jesus chose. And not just once, but every day. And not just every day, but every minute of every day. Jesus kept choosing to serve. It is the life Jesus chose. And it is the life you and I choose. Kyle, it's the life you just chose. Every single morning we wake up. Every minute of every day we wake up and we say, Do we really want to be like Jesus? Or do we just want to benefit from what Jesus has done for us? A life of service to others, not because we hope they'll serve us back somehow. That's the life we choose a life where we, we serve because we believe God has already served us enough to save us in the past and and loves us enough now to spiritually serve us still. See Jesus didn't serve because he was pretending to be humble and kind. Jesus served because being humble and kind is a key part of the nature and the character of God. I, I really try to avoid doing this in sermons, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you still got your Bible open, I want you to notice that there's a decision that had to be made in, this, in, in the way that this gets translated into English. And it says, have that same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though. That word though, you have to make a choice there. And it could just as easily grammatically mean because, which changes everything, right? Because we'd love to think that Jesus being humble and kind and serving is an exception to the rule. It's like an aberration in the life of God, that God's only going to be this way for a little while. But that's not, I think, what Paul's saying. I think he's saying because Jesus was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to exploit. This isn't who God pretends to be. It's who God is. This God who stoops to serve. And once we start to wrestle with that, we have to ask ourselves, just like the apostles have to ask themselves, just like Peter who starts to worry in John 13 when Jesus stoops down to serve, to wash dirty, dusty feet. Peter understands at some level that he's, he's supposed to follow Christ in every way. And so when, when Jesus starts doing that, how does Peter react? Stop, stop, stop. Stop. Don't do this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to pretend this ever happened. Don't do this. And what does Jesus say? If you want to have any part of if you want to share life with me, Peter, you've got to let me serve you. And then you've got to understand that this this isn't a stunt. This isn't like a, a visual aid. This isn't one time. This is who I am. And if you're going to follow my example, this is who you're going to have to be. If the creator of the universe can decide that nothing is, is beneath him then I figure you and I can make that same decision without sacrificing near as much. See, it turns out that, that life isn't supposed to be about making sure everyone around us gives us whatever it is we think we deserve. Life is supposed to be about understanding that because of Jesus, we already have more than we could ever deserve. And now we want to take care of others the same way God's already taking care of us. See, one of the things I, I think we struggle with in the Christian life is, we forget what time it is. We, we start to try to do something for somebody else, and we have the image that we're the first actor. We're the first one doing something, but that's never true. See, it's too late for that. You're never the first one serving, or loving, or sacrificing, or any of that. You're always doing that in response To God, what God has already done, and what God is is doing, and what God will do. You're never the first one taking the hit. It's always the response. That's why when David Wallace was sharing stories about the greatest servants he's known in his life, did you notice what what captures their hearts? What motivates them, What, what frees them up to serve? How did they both respond to the question, How are you doing? Blessed beyond measure. Gene Boone says this is the best day I've ever had in my life. Gratitude. Gratitude. They understand that no matter what they do today, it's not the first thing. It's not the first nice thing that's going to happen today. The first best thing that happens every single day of your life is God lets you wake up. And then God showed grace to you. And God is going to show grace to you. And the question is, if we if we can find a way to make that gratitude so real in our lives that it's natural for us to want to do something in response to that, not because anybody's making us, but because we understand that when we serve, we are becoming more like the God who serves us, who didn't have to. Nobody made God serve us. God serves us because God loves us. I don't think we often think of God that way. I don't think that we often picture dirt under his fingernails and maybe working outside and, and doing things that, that somebody like me always needs a manlier person to instruct me on before I try it. Right? Like, we, we don't picture... I, I think we have this image that, you know, God moves up the ladder just like we hope to move up the ladder at some point and maybe get a corner office with a nice view. God is a servant. God will always be a servant. And if we're going to be his people, we have to be those who serve. And I have seen people serve. You've seen people serve. And you have seen how through simple, clear acts of service, God's kingdom come and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. You've seen that happen. As as much as I like to talk, as much as I like to hear thoughtful people talk, Paul says the kingdom is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of the world changing. And more often than not, I see our world changing when people roll up their sleeves and serve. I, I've seen people change out the oil for people who, who can't afford to pay for that being done. I said I've seen that because I don't know how to do that. But I've seen that. Right? I, I have seen folks decide to spend the entire day with a senior citizen who can no longer drive so they can run errands with them, take them to, to doctor's appointments and to the grocery store. I, I have seen someone build a set of bookshelves for an elderly widow who loved to read, and there were just books all over her house, and he noticed it when he came by one day, and so he built her bookshelves. It took him a week, and all he took in in payment was lemonade. I, I have seen people in this church family who have personally dealt with bed bug infestations in someone's apartment, because they found out that person couldn't take care of themselves. I've seen people bring meals to others who can't make meals because they're either ill or they've had a surgery or they've just been blessed with a new baby. I've seen people drop everything to rush off to Dallas or Houston or Austin or other cities because they find out that somebody in this church family is in a hospital room and they want them to desperately know that they're not alone. I've seen countless people in this church family serve in in very quiet unassuming ways all around large events we have to do where there's there's tables to set up and then clean and take down and chairs to move around and and always with a smile on their faces and always being kind to one another i i have listened as people speak words that build others up when they're just about to give up i can keep going there are so many ways that you and I can can serve others the way God has served and still serves us. All we have to do is keep our eyes open to the opportunities. And when those opportunities open up, we don't need to have a, a committee meeting about what to do. Just, Just do it. Just serve. Just help. You know, you and I, we ought to be if we're going to fight over something, I, I don't want us to fight over anything, but if we're going to fight over something, I wish we'd fight over who gets to sweep up and turn the lights off instead of who gets to get up here. I mean, I know it's ironic that I'm the one saying that. <laughs> Here's what I'm concerned about. I, I feel like we know this, but then we don't, we don't know how to live this out, right? It's real simple. When it comes to status, the world and the church shouldn't resemble each other at all. And I'm afraid that we, we just transfer the social status, the, the sinful social status arrangements that we have in our culture, and we just import them into the church and act like that's not going to have implications that hurt us and harm us and make us sick. I mean, how else would you explain that we ask people to shepherd us and lead us, and we will submit to them as long as they do everything exactly the way we, we, that we want them to? The second they do something that's not exactly what we want them to do, we treat them like they're running for president, and we tear them apart. We start acting, I, I'm not talking about anybody else, I'm talking about myself. That's not the kingdom. That's the world. When we act like that with each other, when we act like that the reason we ask someone to be a shepherd, that the most important thing is they get to make all the big decisions now, that's not not the heart of what it means to be a shepherd. It's to serve. And I have watched our shepherds serve, and I have watched our members serve, and I just wish we could hold on to this reality that it's, it's not something we, we mature beyond. It's not something we get over. That it's important for every single one of us to keep our feet rooted in the reality that there are daily menial tasks that need doing. And that if I'm closest to the task, I don't need to look up a verse to see if I should do it or not. I just need to do it. When it comes to status, the church shouldn't look anything like the world. And if the Apostle Paul is right when he says that we need to adopt the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, then that means that we only love God as much as we serve the person we like the least. We only love God as much as we serve the person we like the least. Jesus washed Judas' feet at the Last Supper. And I have a feeling Judas was even less comfortable with that than Peter. Whose feet have we refused to wash because we can't bring ourselves to serve them? Because we come up with all kinds of reasons why they, they don't deserve to be served, or serving them wouldn't help them, or you know how we have these conversations, at least with ourselves. I'm telling you, there isn't a more countercultural cultural command in Scripture. Serve people, not because you like them or because you think they deserve it or they've earned it or because they can serve you back somehow in the future. Serve them because God has served you and is still serving you and God is asking you to serve. As hard as it can be to move beyond thinking about serving to actually serving, I think it's even harder for us to be really honest about why We serve at times. Selfish motivations turn serving from something that's beautiful and meaningful into something that's cold and calculated. If I only scratch your back so that you'll scratch mine later, I'm only pretending to serve you. What I'm really doing is manipulating you in a nice way for my own reasons. Trying to serve ourselves under the disguise of serving others is how we trick ourselves into believing that we're following Jesus when we're actually running away from him. Jesus says this more than once. If you only love those who love you, what, what credit is that to you? Paul says if you only serve those who, who serve you, what, what good is that? One of the best ways to sift through our motives when it comes to serving that I know of is to serve in secret. To do something kind for someone else that, that no one else finds about. Jesus actually talks about this approach in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Just read you a couple of verses here. Jesus says, Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Whenever you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may get praise from people. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that you may give to the poor in secret. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Now I'm guessing that the majority of what Jesus is talking about when he says the word reward is an eternal reward in heaven. But at least part of what Jesus is talking about when he says there's, there's a reward that comes from serving in secret is the reward that comes from doing something good and nobody else knows about it, so you don't have to worry about your own motivations. And it sets us free in a world that is constantly encouraging us to try to to craft a certain image of ourselves to one another, right? To edit the things that people find out, to, to try to say, well, this is who I am, I'm caring and I'm considerate, here I am doing a good thing, let me take a selfie and make sure everybody knows about it, and then I'll see how many likes I get for how good I've been. We're tempted all the time to tell our own stories about ourselves and what we think we've managed to do on our own through our effort, And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that may feel good in the moment, but in a lifetime of that, what you find is that you're a slave. You're a slave to worrying about what other people think about you, and you're a slave trying to to prove that you're worth it to other people. You don't serve in order to be worthy to God or to anybody else. We serve because we believe we're already made worthy, and we're filled with gratitude for that grace. And it doesn't matter if anybody else knows about it. Now, of all the things I'm gonna talk about in this entire series, this is the. I'm not gonna wash dishes unless I do it loudly when Lauren's around. (laughs) I'm just not. I mean, I don't know if I assume she thinks that the girls managed to do it or or what. Right? I'm not going to do something good. In in the closest relationship I have, unless I get some credit for it, that's pathetic. It's pathetic. You know, I'll bring it up in some. You know, I was, You know, when I was vacuuming earlier, I was worried about the way the vacuum sounds. As if I know anything about how vacuum's supposed to sound. You know, the dawn ran out when I was washing the dishes earlier. I don't know if you noticed that we need more soap. Laugh at me. You do it too. You do it. We do it. And the second we do it, we're not serving in a way that makes us more like Jesus. We're serving ourselves. We're not even serving that person. We... We do this to one another on accident. I, I'll have people in church talk to me like if I do them a favor, they're gonna, I, they owe me one. Like every single thing we could do for one another is a transaction in a relationship. Like I wouldn't just do something out of the goodness of my heart. And I think it's because we know. I mean... I was talking to Lauren this morning about this. I don't, I don't think we mean to do it. We certainly didn't mean to do it as, as parents, and I, I know my parents didn't mean to do this. My parents turned doing simple acts of service into a, a very complex stickers and stars and colors uh, to get what I wanted later, right? It was a chore chart. They bribed me to serve. They didn't mean to. And they were doing it in hopes that one day I would wake up and that would not be something I was doing to get something. I would wake up one day and I would do it because it's who I was. But I think we learned that so young. Riley and Reese were trying to do this. We can't even keep track of it, but you know, it's like these different colored marbles and they'd get them if they do a good thing. We'd take them away if they did a bad thing. The reward at the end of getting all the marbles was daddy would take them to a fancy dinner anywhere they wanted and you know, at least there's some relational aspect to that, although I always had the sense that as long as I took them to that restaurant and they got to eat, they'd rather be with somebody else anyway. But I'm, I'm kidding. We bribe one another, right, to serve. The problem is that whole construct is I do something nice, then I get something nice. We don't know what time it is. God's already done Everything you will ever need done. It's it's not that you do something good to get something good. It's that something better than good has been done for you and will continue to be done for you. And so you simply, out of the overflow of that sense of thankfulness, you want to (sighs) help. Let's define serving. Serving is doing whatever it takes to help someone not to get credit, but to get closer to Christ and His selfless way of life. That's what we're if we're gonna get anything out of serving, it's not to get that person to do something or to get credit or to get recognition. What we're what we're hoping is going to happen is that that moment, that decision to do something simple that needs doing. Is going, to, is going to help us be more like Jesus and that we trust that this way of self-emptying and humbling ourselves, not because we're forced, but by choice, is the best way of life. It's beautiful and it's meaningful. It's not cold and calculating and transactional. It is who were we, we were created to be. You really can do this. It's gonna be painful. Serving's hard enough, but serving in secret that's like the advanced course. But you can do it. And you can, you can do helpful things to people without telling anyone else or, or doing it in such a way that they find out and, and shower you with being thankful. And while you don't always have to serve in secret, while you'll, you don't always have to serve that way, I'm telling you, if you don't ever serve in secret, you're never quite sure why you're doing it. You can be a slave to trying to prove that you're worthy or that other people should think that you're a caring, nice person instead of just, this is who you are and this is what you do. So try it out this this week, right? Secretly serve others by not talking unless you have something to say that you know is going to make them feel better. And don't announce that you're going to do that. right? Just do that. Secretly serve by You know, when someone interrupts you, you don't huff and roll your eyes and point out they interrupted you. Just listen. And speaking of listening, another way to secretly serve is to actually fully listen. I I read somewhere this week that truly listening to someone feels so much like you loving them, it's hard to tell the difference. Right? So you... You just listen, and I know you have a thousand other things that, that you need to get onto and that you need to be doing, but you stop everything and you give your full attention to somebody else. You can secretly serve by getting money to somebody who you know could really use it without them tracing that money back to you. You can secretly serve by choosing one day a month. It just has to be in this week. Choose one day in a month. To not say no to any simple task that someone in your home asks you to, to help them with or something that you notice they need help with. And again, you don't announce it. You just are helpful all day long because it's who you want to be. You know, get the booklet and look at all the different opportunities that, that we've tried to give you. My favorite one is one that Holly Rocker wrote. It's number three make a baked good, drive over to someone's house to deliver it, leave the car running, place your gift on the doormat, ring the doorbell, run. I'm at 6301 Milestone Drive. Um, <laughs> I had a choice. I want you to know, Christy Ussery took us around to pick our house, and it came down to two houses. One was on Marguerite Way. The other was on the corner of Milestone and Tradition. (laughs) I got a good preacher address. (laughs) Serve. And when you can, serve in secret. And I promise you, the kingdom will come. And God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I promise you. And I know, not only could we do this in the next seven days, you and I could serve like this in the next seven hours if we decided to. We have constant opportunities to serve, and we we rush past them. But here's what I, I want to leave with you this morning. In a broken world that is so obviously broken, you and I get to be a part of fixing it. We just have to be willing and we, we don't have to be superheroes. We just have to be humble servants who, who decide that if we're going to resemble our Savior, it's going to take effort. It's going to take work. It's going to take doing the things that simply need doing and trusting that that's enough, that God works through that, that willingness, no matter how big or small the task is. There is nothing for the child of God that we would say that's beneath us. Because the God we have is willing to stoop to show his love for us. We're going to sing now. And as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout the room. They're there to receive you, to pray with you, to talk about our core beliefs as a church, to talk about what, what does baptism mean if you, if you haven't seen one before and you'd like to talk a little bit more about that. They want to be there for you. They want to pray with you if that's something you'd like. So I'm going to ask those couples if they would to stand just briefly so you can kind of see where they are scattered throughout the room. Go to them as together we stand and sing.